This week on Writers, Inc. So many of our authors will write one book a year, and that's all they want to do. And therefore, they, and if they're fiction, they will, they'll do this, the campaigns usually run six months. So that means then after the campaign is done, they go back into the writing cave, write for six months, come back out, and we start the cycle again. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. Zach, did you go anywhere interesting for dinner last night? No. Okay, next. next uh, <laughs> JD, did you go anywhere interesting for dinner last night? Man, we've had a crazy week. So, you know, I mentioned on the podcast that we bought a cabin in the, in um, Tennessee. Um, and we had to fly out there on uh, Sunday to, to basically set it up and, and get it ready for, for rental because it's a vacation rental. So it's like one family after the next after the next. So my wife had to line up cleaners and handymen and, you know, people to mow the lawn and all these fun things that you have to do with something like that. So we figured, well, you know, we own the place. Let's go down there and enjoy it for a couple of days and at least be local rather than trying to do that from a distance. Um, so she booked us out there for a couple of days. And maybe within 10 minutes of me getting like the flight info that she emailed over to me, I get another email from Dan Brown. Um, and it's a, an invite to a, a private event. Um, and, you know, in, in typical Dan fashion, it, it's completely hush-hush, super so, you know, top secret, double probation kind of thing. It does, doesn't say what it's about, you know, just be here at this particular time. And anybody that, that knows him, like he, he's very similar to, to the Robert Langdon character. Like he grew up, like his, his parents did scavenger hunts with him when he was a kid. Um, you know, so he's very into like little clues and, you know, just playing that, that type of game. So like we had no idea what this was, but our return flight was at four o'clock yesterday and his event started at 5 30. Um, so we landed at the airport four o'clock hopped in the car got back home real quick changed clothes had to get our daughter over to the neighbor's house you know because that's the only person that can babysit her without her, her screaming her head off got some macaroni and cheese in her and then headed over to the this event um and even going into it, you know, like as it was happening, I still wasn't sure what I was allowed to talk about and not allowed to talk about because um, it, it was a it was just very surreal experience. Um, but the, the gist of it is he's got a TV show coming out called The Lost Symbol, you know, based based on his book. Um, and it's it's uh, with the Robert Langdon character, but a much younger version of it. Um, and it's going to be streaming on Peacock. Um, and I guess I, I found a link for a, a preview that we can throw into the, the show notes. Um, but this was a private screening of the, the first episode. And, and it was so damn good. Um, and it made me feel really good about, you know, like a, a recent decision that I made is we, we didn't renew the option for the fourth monkey with CBS. Um, instead, we opted to package all three books for the, the trilogy together and, and, you know, hopefully find somebody we could partner with to, to put it out as a streaming TV series, you know, with, with three, all, all three books together. Um, and, and those things have kind of aligned. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still, it's a big, you know, big step to go from a feature film to, to something like that. But after seeing this, like, you know, without going into too much detail, the cinematography, the music, like everything about it, looked like a feature film, but it, but it's a streaming TV series, and I mean, people are people are going to eat this up, and I just 
I love the fact that the the industry is is going that way. Um, so yeah, so that's what we did last night and got got home and um, you know finally got up this morning, got some some real words in, and I feel like I'm I'm kind of back to normal again. But yeah, my my life is crazy. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm just glad that I didn't actually go to some awesome restaurant last night because no matter what I would have said. <laughs> Well, the funny thing was, like, even when we got there, like, there was, you know, it, it, there was a, a decent crowd. I mean, probably like 50 people or something that he invited to this thing. Um, and there was an open bar. And then, like, behind the bar were these boxes. And I'll have to send you a, a picture of one. Um, but it was, it was had an envelope on the top that was sealed in red wax. You know, it's something you would give a picture and a, and a little key on top. And we're looking at him. We're like, what, what could this even be? Because, you know, knowing Dan, it could be anything. Um, but it turned out it was the, the meal. Like, he actually had a prepackaged dinner that was fantastic in, in these boxes. But it was, you know, it looked like something out of one of his books and i just i love the fact that he you know puts that kind of detail into to something like this um it was just all a cool event all, all the way around it was it was fun to attend it is the young robert langdon played by colin hanks <laughs> you know i it's funny i'm surprised that they didn't actually go there and he, he did a quick <laughs> he did a quick interview and somebody had brought up um you know using cgi to to you know, take Tom Hanks and, and, you know, make him younger because they're doing that in like every other movie nowadays. Um, uh, but no, if you watch the trailer, I've never heard of the guy who's playing him, but he, he does an incredible job and he's got a very similar look. So like you could see them as being the same person, you know, even though they're obviously not related. Um, yeah, the casting, everything about it. I mean, it's, this is, this is a feature film that is stretched out into, you know, 10 or 14 episodes. And if you've ever read the lost symbol, like that's the way it needs to be because, you know, I've, I've been through this process already, like for them to take a book like that and, and narrow it down to a two-hour movie you're losing like half the detail and you just the, the story just kind of falls apart um and this is i'm, I'm sure going to give him the opportunity to tell the story the way that he wanted it to, to be originally told and it's it's going to be good yeah that's amazing uh any idea when the series is going to launch no, I'm not sure. I mean, the preview is out there right now. Um, it's going to be on uh, Peacock, I think, is the streaming service for NBC. Um, but I, I couldn't find an actual launch date. So it's an NBC property. Yeah, it's an NBC property. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because you said it's going to be on Peacock, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Nice. Yes, sir. Yeah, so right Zach, on. we don't care about your dinner or my dinner for that matter. <laughs> I didn't get, yeah, I mean, I didn't get some rat is in a box. So, you know, <laughs> what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. All right. Well, why don't we get some uh, housekeeping out of the way here and then we'll, we'll get into our interview for the week. We want to give a nice shout out to the wonderful folks at Kobo Writing Life that uh, empowers you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands. Remember, there's never any exclusivity clauses with Kobo Writing Life. They have monthly promotional opportunities and a fabulous team that answers emails personally. So if you're interested in that and you want to publish wide, head on over to KoboWritingLife.com. And if you are interested in becoming part of our patron uh, campaign and you can submit questions for our monthly Q&A or even show up live and be on the recording, you can do that at patreon.com slash writers inc podcast. And one more quick note that kind of ties into the guest this week is that uh, we are less, well, I'd say we're about three months away from the Career Author Summit. Uh, we still have tickets available both live and in person or live and virtual, rather. Uh, if you're interested in that, head on over to thecareerauthor.com slash summit to get some more information. All right, so this week we have uh, a slightly different type of guest. We have Dana Kay from K Publicity. So um, I know, JD, you have some thoughts on publicists, and you've, you've used some in the past, and uh, we're, we're pretty big fans of Dana. 
So yeah, so publicists, it's um, you know, indie authors tend to do a lot of this this on their own. Um, you know, the, the large publishers will handle a certain amount of marketing um, for you, but there, there's always holes. So anytime I've got a book coming out, whether I'm putting it out or a publisher is putting it out, I get that marketing plan you know, either from them or put one together on my own, and I just try to punch holes in it. I try to figure out you know what they're doing and you know what's being left on the table, like what still needs to happen. Um, and that's where somebody like Dana Kay and and her company come into come into play because they'll they'll basically do the same thing. And they'll help plug those holes. They'll help find ways to, to get you out in front of audiences and in front of people that you know the the other you know portion of this this program you know are, th- those people aren't thinking about it. Your publisher is not going to necessarily worry about Instagram where Dana K could um, and that kind of thing. Um, that yeah, I've had a love hate relationship with publicists, and I think we've talked about this one before. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I initially I hired one for um for Forsaken, and I threw a ridiculous amount of money at this firm up in New York. Um, and in the end, I think after three months, I got something like two or three blog reviews out of them, and and literally, you know, like nothing for for my money. Um, and you know, publishers or publicists are one of those things where anybody can kind of create you know a website and a, throw a shingle up there and and say they're a, they're a publicist. So you definitely want to research who you deal with. Um. And just make sure that it's it's somebody legit. And and, and K is you know Dana K and K publicity. They're they're one of the the better ones that are out there. They they handle a lot of the thriller authors that I that I know. Um, and they they're really good with outside the box thinking, which is one of the reasons why I love them. And I'm I'm glad that she's on the show. Me too. And I'm also yeah. glad that uh, she's going to be one of our featured speakers at the Career Author Summit. So if you like what you hear here and you want to meet Dana uh, in Nashville this fall, consider that. There you go. So here she is, Dana K. I think one of the most important questions I have to ask you today is the best place to get Chicago deep dish. Art of Pizza on Ashland and Wellington. Wow. And I know a lot of people made it's a, that's a little bit off the the tourist, you know, the tourist attraction area and so a lot of people don't know about it but the Chicagoans know that Art of Pizza on Ashland and Wellington. You didn't even hesitate. There is no hesitation. <laughs> There's actually kind of a funny story. There was one of my longtime clients, Greg Hurwitz. I've been, he's been our client for probably about eight or nine years now. And he, in his career, when we started working with him, he had, I think it was 18 books in or 16 books in, like he had spent a long time writing and he had never hired an outside publicist. And I, at the time was doing PR for a comic book shop and he was doing a signing there and one of the owners of the comic book shop is like, we're swamped at the store. Any way you could pick him up from the airport. I'm like, you know, I do stuff for my clients. I'm like, sure. Why not? I've, I had met Greg at uh, a couple of mystery conventions. And so I drove out, got him, picked him up from the airport. And if you've ever met Greg, he's a very hungry human being. He likes to eat <laughs> a lot. And so the first thing we, he did is he said, can you take me to the best Chicago deep dish? I said, sure, I can do that. And I took him and sat down, ate his pe- ate like three slices of pizza. And he's like, this is the best Chicago deep dish. I said, I know. And it was then that he started talking to me like, so what do you do? And what kind of work do you do? And how could we work together? And he said that that was a pivotal moment for him before he hired me was that he knew I wasn't full of BS. <laughs> because I, if I said I was taking him to the best Chicago deep dish, that indeed I was. And so he could... I built up trust in that, in that little, in that little encounter. There's so much wisdom in that. They're really like just connecting with people on a human level and not, 
not being so determined to get right down to business. And I love that story. Uh, he, he must be a machine because I, I can't eat more than one slice of the authentic stuff. It is just like a brick. <laughs> he eats more than any human I've ever met. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to talk more about your clients in, in, a, in a minute, but I, I was hoping that uh, maybe you could take us back to Chicago 2008 and tell us what you were doing and what was happening in your life at that time. Sure. So I was a freelance writer and book critic. I was working for the Chicago Sun-Times. I was writing for Time Out, for Crime Spree Magazine, uh, for several other publications. Basically anyone that would let me write, especially writing about books, uh, I would I would do it. And so I was doing that. And as many of us know, as freelance writers, you also do the, the non-sexy stuff as well. So I was writing website copy for an insurance website or writing <laughs> brochures and, and those sorts of things. But I really loved talking about books. That was my first love. And in 2000 and late 2007, as we all know, this is when the, the Great Recession started, right. a lot of the bubble burst. And so I was starting to see the writing on the wall. Like media was declining. Newspapers were filing for bankruptcy and they were laying off staff members. And I thought, okay, this probably isn't a good, stable, long-term career plan. So I went back to my first love. I love telling people what to read. I love matching people with the perfect book or the perfect pizza, as the case may be. And so I said, okay, well, if I love that, then maybe I should go into publicity and marketing. And so I started looking for jobs. The problem is most of publishing is in New York, and I did not want to move to New York. And so I was trying to think about, okay, well, how could I do this? Maybe I went into another industry. What would I do? And I was at a mystery conference and a local author who I had known from the community was saying her, her debut was coming out that year. And she had said that she was going to hire an outside publicist to help support HarperCollins. And because as a book critic, I got pitched all the time. So I had gotten press kits, I had gotten email pitches, I got probably a hundred books sent to my house a month. And so I said to her, I said, okay, this is what you need to look for. You need to find someone who you know, gives you plenty, plenty of lead time, who always follows up, who doesn't send you confetti bombs with the package. And she's listening to me, listen to me, and she's saying, well, why can't you just do it? Do you mm. just want to do it? And I said, maybe. And the following day after the after the conference, because we were both local, we went out to brunch and we just hashed out some plans of things we could do to supplement her publisher's efforts. And that was my very first client. So she, we did a lot of really cool things. And the benefit of doing really cool things is that other authors take notice. And so I went from having her as my only client in February of 2008 to having 30 clients by the end of that year. Wow. How did you manage them all? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really, you know, if you came into our company now, you would think I'm the queen of organization and systems and operations. But to be frank, back then, I I am was way more of a, um, a Luddite than I cared to let on. I didn't have a smartphone. I think I may have had Wi-Fi, but I definitely had a landline. And so <laughs> this was, this, I wasn't um, one of these people who always need to be connected. So I kept track of our to-do list on a whiteboard. I kept track of my time on a 
piece of paper that I would then compute into a Word document and send invoices every month. Like there weren't really great systems. But I think one of the things that I've always been good at is juggling many things. So when I was in college, I, I went to college, I paid my way through college. So I also worked three jobs. And when you're a freelancer too, you have many different writing deadlines and many different outlets and editors that you're dealing with and different stories you're covering. And so I, I've always been good at the juggle. And so I think that my capability to manage multiple projects made up for the lack of systems that I had in place back then. Yeah. Well, it's it's excellent that you had that word of mouth sort of uh, contagion spread in a, in a positive way and that you probably didn't have to explain your value to, to those people. But nowadays, I'm assuming if you have a, a, you know, a broader reach, a longer reach, you know, how do you how do you explain to, say, an, an, an author who's somewhat newer on the path who doesn't know what a PR firm does? Like, how do you answer that question? Well, I think every PR firm is different. Uh, so if we talk about public relations, I view that as everything having to do with your public persona, how you, the author, and your work relate to your public. And I define that as a combination of publicity, marketing, and community outreach. So while all of our campaigns are tailored to each book, they all have those three pillars. So publicity is earned media coverage. It's other people talking about your book. So whether it's talking on a podcast with somebody or your book getting reviewed or a bookstagram or taking a photo of your book, that's earned coverage of other people talking about your book. You can't control it, but it's also free. On the flip side, marketing is you talking about your book. It's your social media platform. It's your mailing list. It's placed media coverage. So you're controlling the message, you're controlling the timing. If you send out a newsletter, it's guaranteed to go as opposed to maybe you have a TV interview and then there's breaking news and it's canceled, it's out, that's out of your control. And so marketing is within your control, but it doesn't have the same amount of weight or clout as publicity, right? Because me telling you, you should buy my book is very different than a reviewer or a trusted librarian or whomever saying you should buy this book. And so these two pieces work hand in hand in order to successfully reach your public because you may have a great review in the New York Times or a great podcast interview or whatever this killer piece of media coverage is, but it's up to you to get the word out about that as well. So you need to be marketing it by sending out to your newsletter, sharing it on social, making sure those reviews are on your Amazon page. All of those aspects are really important. The community outreach piece is I do believe that grassroots efforts and relating to people is really crucial to any campaign. So whether that is doing a bookstore event, a library event, even if those events are online, it could be partnering with a nonprofit, teaming up with a corporation. Um, one of the things that we did me and Jamie did on her very first, or my very first client was her main character is an ultra marathon runner, Emma Caldridge. And we partnered with Segoy Running Apparel to do a lot of, it started with just sponsoring the book trailer. Um, book trailers were way more prevalent back then. <laughs> and um, it started with that where they, she wore Segoy Running Apparel in the, in the trailer. And they had a little thing like sponsored by Segoy, whatever it was. And Segoy put it on their website. And then it expanded into 
she led workshops at running stores talking about running and talking about the book with someone from Segoy. She did, they got copies of her book to give to their top accounts as client gifts. Uh, it, it expanded into this other thing where she reached this community of runners that aren't reading the book section of the New York Times or listening to books podcasts. So I believe that community outreach is how you expand even further beyond and also nurture real human relationships. That's brilliant. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard marketing and PR uh, defined that way before. I, I. I think a lot of us just kind of lump them all, and we think they're all the same thing, but they're clearly not. Yeah, I mean, I think the public relations again. It goes the PR, which is public relations, goes into this umbrella of how you relate to your public. And the fact is you can relate to your public in many different ways. It can be by doing media interviews. It could be by standing on the corner with a sandwich board ringing a bell. Like there's different ways that you can relate to your public. And so for us, it's always been important to check all the boxes and hit all the angles. There's many PR firms that really deep dive into publicity specifically. They only do media coverage. There's other agencies that just do marketing. Like they just focus on email marketing, Amazon ads, Facebook ads, whatever that is. And I've always felt the approach is you you could have a really, really great publicity campaign, but if the marketing isn't there, if the sales isn't there, like if your book, we had one instance where books got delayed and I had a New York Times review, an LA Times review, an LA Weekly review, like every possible dream piece of coverage, but the books didn't arrive at Barnes and Noble. They were delayed. And therefore, those reviews didn't move the needle. So I, I see these things happening. And I, I won't say that we always did it this way. It was me saying, okay, this really worked, but then this happened. So how can we take control over that and ensure that we learn from our these mistakes? Um, you know, we weren't shipping the books, but learn from these mistakes and pivot and ensure that uh, all the, it's like firing a missile that makes sure every everyone turns their keys. Yeah. Are you focusing mostly on fiction writers, nonfiction writers, or what's, what's differentiates K from other PR firms? So we represent everything. We do a mix of fiction and nonfiction, which is how I prefer it. It really speaks to our reading tastes. So, you know, before I would have said, oh, I'll never represent poetry because I don't know poems. I know if I like them or I don't, but I don't know if they're good. And, but my colleague, Julia, who's our publicity manager, is more in the creative writing MFA world. And so she, she gets it. And so we actually took on our first book of poetry this month. And, you know, by the time this airs, we'll know how it went. And if you, so I think it really, the clients that we have speak to our reading taste. And I just, I read, and most of the people on our team read really widely. What differentiates, I think, our clients specifically is our clients are risk takers because we have lots of fun ideas. And if they get nervous about new ideas and they're probably not the right clients for us, they also view us as team members. I think that's the other piece. There's a lot of authors who want the hired help. That's not us. We, you're hiring us for our strategy. We're doing this as a team, it's a collaboration and that's how we prefer to work. I think what really sets us apart from, the, from other PR firms I think one is the level of service. I think that we're like, fan I mean, a lot of our clients, like I said, our client Greg has been with us eight years. Uh, we have a client that's been with us six years. We have a lot of really long-term clients that we've built their careers like over a course of many, many years. 
And so I think what sets us apart is like we really view ourselves as a strategic partner versus someone that you hire for a project and then that's done. And so I think the authors who come to us are really looking for something deeper, not just are you going to contact book scrammers or checking these boxes or can you book me on this? So when an author says, can you only do this? I only need this. That's a red flag to me that it's probably not the right fit. The authors who come and say, I've been writing books for, I've had three books come out. Nothing's really happening. My career is kind of plateaued and I need to get to the next level and I don't know what to do. Those are the authors who I'm like, okay, this is, this is a good partner because they're looking to, for us to be the strategic planner um, but also a collaborator. We want to, I love the, the stage of brainstorming new pitch angles or ideas, or when things are happening in the world and how we pivot. That's really where I think we, we shine. Uh, so you talked, um, you've said authors and you've also said campaigns. So what I'm guessing is you have certain levels of activity that, um, are different based on what's happening in the author's life at, at that moment. And I would imagine a new book, we can all sort of um, figure out what the kind of work you're doing. So what about between books? What are, what are you doing with authors or, or what are you having them do in between launches, whether that's six months or two years? So it depends on the authors, what the author's goals are. So many of our authors will write one book a year and that's all they wanna do. And therefore they, and if they're fiction, they will, they'll do this. The campaigns usually run six months. So that means then after the campaign is done, they go back into the writing cave, write for six months, come back out and we start the cycle again. We have other authors who have things going on year round. So a number of our authors write multiple books a year. We have authors who are also screenwriters or also doing on, on the speaking circuit. We have a number of our authors are launching e-courses and webinars and we handle, again, their, their speaking gigs and their bookings and things like that. Many of our nonfiction authors have angles that could be pitched year round. So it really depends on what the author's goals are. If their goals are just to sell books and they just want to write a book a year, then they don't necessarily have to have publicity and marketing and all these things happening year round. They can kind of go in a cycle. But for the authors who are writing multiple books a year, there's genuinely always something to be pushing. I think for authors who are not sure what to do in between books, the best thing you can do is, I view it as a nurture and a growth cycle. So during a publicity or a marketing campaign, that's where we're growing, right? We're growing, we're reaching out to new readers, new audience members, new contacts. And that's where that growth stage comes in. Once your book comes out, you have those readers. Ideally, you have an email, a newsletter, and you have social media, and you've been able to gather all those people. And then that's when the nurture campaign comes in. So while you're writing, if you can continue to nurture that audience through you know, sharing parts of your writing process, sharing what you're working on right now, if there's other parts of your brand that you talk about, whether it's knitting, your dog, your marathon training, whatever it may be, continue to nurture because this, the book campaign you just did is heavy on sales and people may be fatigued by that. They're like, yes, I bought your book already. Stop emailing me about it. The next cycle is to nurture those people to continue to build the like and the trust factor with them so that when the next book comes out, they are primed to buy. 
Excellent. Excellent. You wrote uh, your book, Your Brand, I believe in 2016 or 2017, right? 2016, that's correct. Yeah. In this industry, that, that can be a long time. Uh, I, I'm wondering if there are, uh, this is sort of a two-part question, like what, is there a concept or strategy in that book that you're, you're still like, yes, that still applies? And conversely, is there something in that book that you think like, yeah, it doesn't work anymore? So the strategy always works. The philo my philosophy is that word of mouth is what generates sales, period. It's how you generate that word of mouth that changes. Ultimately, it's about the way that someone buys a book is someone or many people that they trust, a trusted recommender, <laughs> tells them they should read a book or many people tell them they should read a book and they finally do it. I really believe that's what sells books. So that fundamental strategy stays the same. What changes is how we generate that word of mouth. So the two things, I'm actually recording the audiobook now. Oh, and nice. so I'm, I'm able to take, take out some things that don't apply. So little things like I had included Tumblr, which is no longer relevant. Feel free to skip the Tumblr chapter, the Tumblr <laughs> section. It's not a full chapter. It's just that section. And there's some uh, Goodreads. I had said they used to, the, the giveaways used to be free. They're no longer free. There's like little tactics like this, but ultimately the strategy is the same. So you want to identify your unique author brand, which is basically who you are and what you write. You need to develop some sort of persona or brand and some messaging that's consistent so people know what they're going to get when they pick up your books when they follow you on social when they meet you in person that all doesn't change that's been the same for decades right and so i believe that if you're able to establish that brand if you're able to identify who you are and what you write and then communicate that outward and stay consistent that people are able to find you. It's just how you communicate that. Maybe before it was on your blog and maybe now it's in a TikTok video, who knows? And so I think it just, that those pieces, those pieces change. So how do you know which one of those things are working for you? Like, let's say you come, let's say you come with a, a clean slate and you're like, okay, I've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest. I can't do all of them. Um, so how do you, how do you say, start to generate that word of mouth through, through one of these social media channels and, and at the same time, make a decision as to whether or not it's quote unquote working. So I would start with, you're absolutely right, Jay, that you don't, you can't do it all. You should pick one, maybe two to focus on. So I hope everyone listening has a sigh of relief because I'm sure everyone has like five platforms that they're pseudo doing. Yes. And Pick, pick one, maybe two. So what I would recommend is start with, if you're going to pick two, start with one that you like or that you understand. Maybe you don't like it, but you just, you get it. And then the other where you think your target readers are. If those are one and the same, maybe you just need one thing. So start there. To determine what's working, I look at a few metrics. Ideally, everyone should have Google Analytics or a similar analytic tool on their website. And I monitor who's coming from where, and but not just there, what they're doing once they're there. So a good example is I was getting a lot of traffic from Facebook. Great. But then I see the people coming from Facebook leave right away. They don't click through and click around. So maybe that's actually not good traffic. And Instagram was smaller, but the people when they come poke around for a lot longer. 
they're, they're spending more time on the site, they're viewing more pages, et cetera. Same with Pinterest. Pinterest was one that I didn't think as a business owner, I really needed. And then I realized, oh, there's so many people on Pinterest looking for business tools and entrepreneur tools and all these things. And so I started getting a lot of traffic from Pinterest. And again, they would not only click the links, but they would stay on them and read the blog posts that I was linking to. So start, and this is like, you take two to three months actually to, to determine this. So I believe you should spend two to three months maybe on those two platforms that you chose look at your analytics and see and see what's translating. And people sometimes look at the metrics on social and I, I think that those are misleading. So for example, I make a joke that on my Instagram page, everyone just wants to see my wife because anytime <laughs> I post a photo with her, I get tons of engagement, like <laughs> likes, comments, all kinds of things. But no one clicks through to my website. So I get tons of engagement. People see my mug. People see my, you know, I, I get showed up in people's feeds more often. The nice That's bow tie great. and everything. The right? nice bow tie. <laughs> well, it's with my wife. I'm probably in like sweatpants. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're casual around here. So I think if you, if you, so the engagement is good. Engagement means something, but ultimately you want people to take action with you. So if I wasn't seeing, if you're not seeing click-throughs to your website or click-throughs to something, like it, whether if you have an, let's say in Instagram, you can have one link in your profile. Maybe it's an Amazon link to your book. Maybe it's a link to your mailing list, whatever it is. If people are clicking that on a regular basis, then that's a good sign. But if they're not, if they're giving you a like, it doesn't take much. That's not really taking action. It may not be worth it. So I would pick two that you, one that you like or that speaks to you or you get and then the other that is the one you think that people, your readers are on, and then just keep testing. Fantastic. That's great advice. I'm, I'm taking notes myself here. Good, good. <laughs> uh, I think as, as we kind of uh, pull the conversation to, to a close, I have one last question for you, which hopefully will be a lot of fun. There's no right or wrong answer. But uh You've been you've been in the in the industry. You've had your sleeves rolled up and been in the muck of it now for for over a decade. Uh, where do you think this crazy publishing industry is headed? Hmm. Let me look into the crystal ball yeah. and just yeah. see. <laughs> see what it says. I believe that the the fundamental truth is that people will always like to read. It's been if you look at for the past I want to say century, but don't quote me. Number one and number two hobbies are always reading and gardening for cent for at least a century. And so the, the idea that people will, people are always going to read books. I, I fundamentally believe that how they read books may change. Maybe they're listening more, maybe they're e-reading, um, whatever it may be. And I think that again, the idea that people will read books that they know other people are reading or that people they trust are reading that's also, and, what, and maybe that person they trust is the author, right? Like maybe they have, they just will buy everything that the author writes. People need to have someone else tell them, this is going to be good. This is worth the $25 hardcover. It's worth the six hours you spend reading it before they make a purchase. So I think that will never change. I do believe that authors are going to need to take more control over their own platforms and they are going to need to take a more vested interest in their more author brand, let's say. Publishers are great at moving widgets, right? Like they're, they're in the game of publishing books, 
So they need to sell books. There are very few publishers and they're out there, but there are very few of them that really focus on the author's career and building a brand for the author. And if you want to change publishers, your brand and your audience can't live with the publisher. I, we've had a lot of authors, fairly big name authors who have their website on Macmillan or Simon and & Schuster's. Yikes. And I'm just like, you don't have access to any of that. <laughs> if you want to leave, that's a problem. And so I think authors taking a vested interest in building their own platforms, I think that's going to, that's already important, but I think it's going to grow increasingly important, especially during times of great change. So in times of whether it is, you know, a, a previous pandemic <laughs> where people, you know, the, the supply chain was broken. The people who had these loyal followings did okay when they told them, yes, my books may not be in stores right now, but you can get the eBooks, go get them. And people who really didn't like reading eBooks, but really loved the author and needed books because they liked to read, they dealt with it. We saw people who would never go to an online event start going to online events because it was the only option. And so I believe that if you build trust with people, if you build up a loyal fan base, like a community of super fans, they'll come with you. And that's really your kind of your insurance policy for whether you leave your publisher, whether your publisher drops the ball, whether there's no books available anywhere, whatever it may be, I think that's gonna grow increasingly important. So what you're telling me is my next project is a book and the title is Gardening with Jay Thorne. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really, if you look at, it's really interesting to see what kinds of books are doing well right now um, and what kinds of books also always do well. I never, I never advocate for writing to a trend. However, if you're writing something, looking at the trends and looking at the patterns is important. Um, so yes, if you feel, Jay, if you feel pulled to write a gardening book, that would, now would be the time. Okay, I think I have the new Bohannon book. It's going to be called Heavy Metal Gardening. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, yes. I'm not. I'm not above it. I've, you know, gardening is something I've considered getting into. So, you know, there you go, man. Apparently, I need angle. to add to my list of hobbies. <laughs> so, and I need to go to uh, get, now. Now, I really want some deep dish too. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that was the first thought I had. Like the, the right pizza could probably end a war. You know, and, and, and it's like, and, and, and most and most people know, like you know, either the city that they live, like everybody seems to know where the best pizza pizza is, and and Chicago for sure has, has some some great ones. If you're ever in Coral Springs, Florida, pizza time, that's the place to go to. Yeah, see, it's the the pizza aficionados. They just they know ex there's no hesitation in their answer, right? Like you give them a city especially a city they live in or where they're from, and like they tell you immediately, and that's what Dana did too. She's like she did not hesitate. Yep. But no, it was, no, uh, no, I, no, her, no. in all seriousness, though, um, it, it was really interesting. Like, Dana, when I saw her, she's she's one of the uh, the people coming to Career Author Summit who I really was like, okay, that'll be really interesting because that's not the type we haven't heard from. Uh, we haven't had a publicist um, from what I can remember at any of the previous events. So, um, you know, and, 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 J and JD kind of hit out in the intro, like, have hiring a publicist or PR firm is always something I've been kind of like, I don't know, weird about for a lot of reasons, but it's also something just for a lot of the reasons JD said, cause it's like, you know, where do you really know what you're putting your money towards type of thing? Like, can I do a lot of this stuff on my own? 
But the further along I've gotten in my career and like the bigger backlist I've built and then throw on top of that, the fact that, you know, even though it's worked out for me and I, I don't have a social media presence, I'm still kind of coming to a point where I'm like, okay, like how can I reach new readers? And, and I've considered this as a possibility, like uh, having hiring a publicist and, and kind of having them handle, but, but I, part of the thing I like about Dana is, is thinking outside the box, you know, cause I, like my worst fear is hiring somebody and then them being all about like, well, we're going to do this on social media. And cause I obviously have strong feelings about not wanting to put a lot of effort into that and, and have a presence on there. So, um, but you know, someone like Dana, who's thinking outside the box, I almost feel like I could go to her and be like, Hey, this is kind of what I'm looking at. This is, uh, you know, what can we come up with? And that she would be able to get creative and come up with some stuff. Yeah, honestly, I think you kind of explained that you did it the right way to do it. Like when I hired somebody for Forsaken, like I didn't really understand from you know marketing and publicity standpoint, like what really needed to happen with a new book. Um, I, I feel good about the fact that I've been doing a lot of this stuff on my own for the last couple of years. And, and, you know, I've gotten a good handle on what works and what doesn't work for me in particular. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of in the same position you are. I've got a, a pretty decent backlist starting to build up. And like it's, you know, it just becomes more and more work every time you add another title and, and you don't want to, you you know, neglect the, the original books, you want to keep, you know, keep pounding away at it. So I think at some point, it makes sense to, to go out and hire somebody to do a lot of that. You just like anything else, you know, if you can hire it out, and you can, you know, get that time back a lot of your a lot of times that that time is more valuable than, you know, than, than taking it, you know, and spending it, you know, doing doing this or doing that. And but going into it, knowing, you know, having a, a at least a rudimentary understanding of what needs to happen, I think is important, um, rather than just jumping right in. So I, I think everybody should probably try it at least a little bit on their own figure out what they like, what they don't like, what works, what doesn't work, and then probably start the conversations with somebody like this. Yeah, I, I think another angle to it, which is, uh, in fact, I, I've reached out to Dana personally about my own platform to, to talk about possibilities, because I think one of the, it's almost, it's almost, become, it's almost coming full circle in that I think a publicist and a good uh, publicity agency can make you stand out, because here's the problem. Once everyone takes all of the Amazon ad courses or the Facebook ad courses, then then everyone's doing that, right? And like and you lose that edge or you lose that distinction. Whereas if a few years ago you were a pioneer in paid advertising in the author space, you could triple, quadruple your return on investment because you were one of only a few people who knew how to do it. But when everyone knows how to do it, you don't stand out anymore. Um, and, and then, you know, the price of the advertising goes up as, you know, clicks become more expensive. So kind of coming full circle back to like a human-centered approach and being like, okay, I'm not going to necessarily focus on the, on the paid ad algorithm. Instead, I'm going to hire this professional who's been in this industry and can come up with some really creative ideas that are unique to me. And that's not something every other author can replicate if, the, if they buy a course that teaches them how to do it. Yeah, you kind of you kind of hinted at something that I was going to say was like, I feel that, you know, especially being 100% indie, you know, we kind of get stuck in this wheel of like, okay, of all the advice we hear about, like, just put out more books, you know, use social media, run, run ads on Amazon. But like, like you said, like, everybody's doing that. Like, at what point, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm reaching a lot of the same people over and over and over again by doing that stuff. But like, how do I build out to a bigger audience who's not necessarily like going to come across an Amazon ad or something like that, you know? And, and, and so that's a big reason why I've been starting to think outside the box. Okay. Like I want to think more long-term. I really want to build my brand up 
and um, and just kind of get out of that same mindset that really every other most other people who are indie like like I you know even here in JD you know on here talk about experimenting with things like Hulu ads like I think that that type of step even is like really interesting um, and, and I just and I I think a publicist could just really help take things like even a step further so well you're leveraging their their contacts as well yeah, I mean you, exactly. can, you can handle ads all by yourself you don't need somebody for that but like she could probably pick up the phone and get your you know, your book mentioned in family circle which you know like that actually moved a lot of copies of Dracul when it happened and that's not something I could have had happen on my own um, you know I, at, for that same book I, I wrote a piece for for Time magazine and, you know that was something that the publicist put together it wasn't something you know, I didn't pick up the phone and call Time and say hey I'd love to write a story for my publicist, you know, called somebody that they knew and they, they arranged that, um, you know, so that that's another way that publicists can really help you. They've, they've got the contacts there that you're not going to be able to, you know, you may not have. And if you were to cultivate them, it, it takes a lot of time to, to build those kind of relationships. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, Sorry. too, like Dana herself is is she's she's walking the walk and talking the talk. Like if you look at if you look at capability, you know, Dana is not a cookie cutter publicist. Like she's got her own distinct look and her own sort of feel and she specializes in, cer in certain clients. She's got a wonderful reputation. So I think if you're looking to stand out as an author, maybe you need to find a publicist who stands out too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you another thing she said that that really stuck out and it's something that we know, but like, I don't think necessarily like, I don't think enough, like how do I leverage that is word of mouth, like word of mouth with books goes so far, but how do you generate that? Like we're, we're sitting here talking about, you know, Amazon ads or whatever you're reaching one person or whatever, but you know, I feel like, you know, if you can get, you work with a publicist and maybe you're getting interviews on podcasts or, you know, uh, you're getting local events set up, you're maybe on TV, like getting these types of things set up. I really feel like that, that type of stuff maybe could really help generate word of mouth more than these like really small tactics that, um, that we're so used to using, you know, cause like, how do you get that? How do you generate that word of mouth, you know? And cause I mean, how often do you talk to somebody and they're like, Oh, what are you reading? You know? And then you like, you know, I, I picked up so many books just because someone said it was good, you know, but, but how do you generate that as an author? Yeah, she mentioned that they do um, speaking gigs too, and and yeah. you know, that, I I know that's a lucrative part of my business. Um, and I've got a separate company that that handles that kind of thing. But if you're writing nonfiction, that that can be huge. Um, you know, getting on the talk show circuit and getting on the news networks and things like that. And you know, again, that's that's one of those types of things that her company handles. Yep. Yeah. So um, yeah, wonderful conversation. Wonderful person. Again, looking forward to to meeting her and listening to what she has to say in real life in September in Nashville at the Career Author Summit. Um, and it's going to be fun. So, uh, right. JD, we have a sort of a, a special episode coming up next on a special day. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, James Patterson's coming back on, um, and he's going to talk about the president's daughter, which is a second book with Bill Clinton. Um, and it, it's a fantastic read. I mean, the, everything about it is is good. Like the the military aspect of it, like the you know the, the comments that the everything is, is is spot on. Like everything was you know clearly very detailed and fact checked. Um, but you know, like working with somebody like Clinton, like he just gives an insight that nobody else can give like he can tell you you know like if there's a run in the carpet in the oval office like he knows where it is like he knows you know detail that absolutely anybody could make up but like he knows the facts and you know that just adds this authenticity to the books that he's written with with patterson and um this was one of my favorite reads of the year um and their first book was i, I think the number one thriller um, of of the year that you know it came out the president is missing um yeah, i mean it was a huge huge number one seller i'm sure this one will hit number one as well um curious to see if it's going to top the first one 
Um, but I, I hope these two keep it up. I mean, it's just that, that kind of odd combination just works so well. Excellent. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.